All right, I was talking about other judges, and when it comes to their opinions on matters of jurisprudence, uh, it's bewildered me, as I said at the outset, and I needed somebody else whose uh, pay grade is more in line with understanding how this all plays out. And to that end, Craig Bottomley has joined us uh, with LLB Bottomley Barristers. Craig, it's good to have you on the Oakley Show. Hi there. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, maybe you can sort this one out. Number one, have you ever come up against a case where... A judge in this, well, this is a sordid story from back in 2009, the kidnapping, rape, and killing of eight-year-old Victoria or Tori Stafford outside of Woodstock, and uh, one of the two found guilty was a Terry Lynn McClintock. Turns out the family just got word she's been transferred to an Aboriginal healing lodge in Saskatchewan to uh, serve out her sentence. It wasn't that long ago. It was murder in the first degree, rather horrific, with a a claw hammer she... uh, basically bludgeoned the young girl to death. Sending someone to an Aboriginal healing lodge, though, uh, is this a form of justice that is proportional, do you feel? Well, you have to remember, it's not the judge, first of all, that decides this, right? The judge sentenced her to life in prison. He gave her the automatic sentence for anyone convicted of first-degree murder. So uh, your your quarrel is not with the judge. The judge uh, had no choice. The so sentencing on a first-degree murder, you don't you don't retire to go think about what you're going to say, uh, generally, because the, the sentence is automatic. Life in prison is a sentence. Uh, no eligibility for parole for tw- uh, 25 years. So she's not eligible for parole till 2031, because she pled guilty in 2009-2010. Uh, so she's been in custody at Grand Valley for the last eight years. Um, now, uh, the, the, what has been decided, uh, and the judge has no control over this, is that uh, by Customs Canada, they've said, okay, we're going to move this person. Uh, and I don't know if it's for the rest of her sentence or if it's because some programming became available at the healing lodge that they thought, okay, Terry McClintock is going to benefit from this. Uh, so she's been she's been shipped there. I'm not sure for how long. Uh, Canada Customs quite rightly won't comment on it because they don't tell you you know where prisoners are and and uh, how long they're going to be there for for obvious uh, safety and security and privacy reasons. The only reason we know is because they notified uh, the father of of the poor girl, uh, and he you know understandably uh, was was outraged and quite upset about this. But we don't you know we don't let people. Uh, the, the people that are affected emotionally aren't the ones making the decision. So it may be that uh, some kind of programming came available. Now, I'd like to say, uh, you know, you'd, you'd hope you'd be able to say Terry McClintock has been a model inmate, but she was actually convicted of a fairly serious um, uh, subsequent incident while in prison uh, where she got in a violent altercation with another person and stomped them quite badly. And then there was a letter she wrote after that saying she'd wish she'd done more to the person. So, uh you know, she's going to get released at some point uh, after her 25 years parole and eligibility are, is up. So it may be that Customs Canada is saying, well, we, let's try and get her some rehabilitation while she's in here so that when we release her, she's a better, more manageable person. You say Customs Canada. Is it Customs oh, Canada? Corrections, yeah. Corrections oh, okay. Canada. Sorry. Yeah, right. Correctional <laughs> Services Canada. I mean, uh, they've already, the former has already taken enough blame for other stuff. Yeah, no, not their fault. <laughs> no. Don't blame them. No, but I was, I was blaming a judge and you corrected me. So that's uh, something that I needed to clarify a judge would have no impact on this particular thing he just decides on i guess the sentence and then i guess uh where this person serves that out it's up to corrections yeah. uh, but you know it does still beg the original question who ascertains that and by what criteria i mean i'm not even sure of her bona fides as an indigenous person i would think uh, yeah me neither 
Well, a lot of people have raised that specter that maybe, uh, you know, is there a tenuous thing here that uh, she can cite 132, uh, something like the Elizabeth Warren story out of Massachusetts? So, I don't know. I don't know if uh, the, the programming's only available to Aboriginal people. I don't know if um, if it's only, uh, you know, Indigenous programming there. It may be that they have a program at that facility where they say, you know what, this is going to help uh, this prisoner. Um, and she has been in Max for the last eight, nine years, so they've had a pretty good chance to observe her, and with the exception of the, the one thing I've told you about, it may be that you know she's shown some promise or some interest in, in rehabilitation, and they've said, okay, well, let's send her out to this healing lodge to get her uh, some kind of programming before uh, we get to the parole date in 2031. Do you think it would be... Uh the, the the society would be better served if there were more transparency and accountability on these decisions. For example, somebody from Correctional Services Canada would have to answer for this. Right now, it's sort of this amorphous, uh, you know, ambiguous bureaucracy, and uh, they cite privacy, so you can't find out anything much more about it. Uh, people want answers. Yeah, it's a real balancing act that has to be done. I mean, criminal lawyers are generally the ones advocating for transparent governance, right? We're the ones that are pushing, saying, hey, you can't just make decisions. They have to be in line with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. They have to be in line with the Constitution. And uh, it's it's criminal defense lawyers and members of the Criminal Lawyers Association who are on the front lines uh, fighting for that very thing. Uh, At the same time, you know, uh, if you're... Uh, if there is rehabilitation to be done in the prisons, uh, you don't necessarily want everyone uh, responding all the time and second-guessing every move that Corrections Canada makes because, you know, it it may be that the right thing uh, for uh, someone found guilty of some particularly heinous offense, 15 years down the road, they say, okay, well, we're going to, you know, move them into this uh, counseling service. And then, you know, everyone's, uh, if everyone's freaking out about that, because it's the emotional reaction and an understandable emotional reaction, but it might not be what's best for getting people back on the street behaving in a societally pro-social way. Well, uh, I wanted to pick up on that as a last case study. Craig Bottomley is with us, a defense attorney with Bottomley Barristers. It's uh, about the Superior Court Justice here in Toronto, Sean Nakatsuru, uh, who apparently in sentencing a young black man uh, who had been found guilty in a case that involved uh, three others in a home invasion. And when he ran, he discarded his jacket inside, found a loaded 38 caliber revolver. And uh, while the jury found him guilty of possession of a loaded prohibited firearm and related crimes, uh, which suggested some serious time behind bars. The judge, in his assessment, decided that this this young man was a victim of sorts, uh, and his uh, troubled past was rooted in experiences of colonialism, slavery, and segregation, and that perpetuates systemic racism, bringing negative treatment by schools, services, government institutions, and police, disparate education, hiring, and pay, uh, help impoverish and marginalize a community, making the problem cyclical and compounding so again a root causes argument uh i wonder if this frustrates. well look you're on the defense end of the equation but the crown had sought a four-year sentence at least and uh the defense was this was part of the defense i guess does that make sense to you yeah i mean the defense was seeking one year the crown was seeking four uh and the and it was the the case was the morris decision And, and let me start by saying Sean Nakatsuru, uh, the the judge that made this decision, is you know well regarded and well respected uh, from both sides of the aisle. You're you would be hard pressed 
to find a more thoughtful judge. And he starts his judgment, and it sounds like you've read it, he starts his judgment by saying, I know this is going to be unpopular. I know that people are going to have problems with this. I recognize that gun violence is a real problem in the city. And, but I'm going to impose this sentence that's going to be viewed as a lenient sentence. Let me tell you why. And then he spends the next you know, 30 pages of a very thoughtfully well-crafted decision explaining it. And, you know, the criminal law and decisions like this are often mechanisms for social change, right? Like, we all, like, you're, you're not going to have a single caller call in and say, you know, I'm for racism, I'm for segregation, I'm for the oppression of people of color. Uh, everyone wants to see change. Everyone agrees that, that uh, change is needed in our society. Everyone recognizes this is a problem. And by Justice Nakatsura saying, you know what, if we're not going to change things, if we're not going to recognize things, I'm going to take that as a factor to be considered in the balancing equation that I have to do in imposing sentence. And it's, you know, it's going to have one of three effects. Either uh, it's going to do absolutely nothing on either side of the scale and people are going to, uh, you know, we're going to still have a society that suffers from these problems and people uh, who are committing uh, terrible gun offenses and it's going to do uh, nothing for the better. Or it's going to inspire some change, uh, a recognition of these social problems and maybe, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty hard, it's pretty easy for a politician to run on a platform and go, I'm going to get tough on crime and I'm going to throw people in jail for 20 years if they even look at a gun and, you know, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. I, I defy anyone to show me the social science where these, you know, higher sentences are reducing crime. Um, but Craig, let me ask you. I mean, what you've yeah. just described is uh, effectively the definition of judicial activism. Uh, it's it, it is it, it there's it's it may be the sort of thing, and I don't know that this is Justice Nakatsuru's intention, but it may be the sort of thing that inspires a discussion on shows like this, uh, something for politicians to consider, and and thoughtful people to sit down and actually read this decision and say, you know what, maybe, maybe he's onto something here. Uh, and it may also be that we, we have a bit of a case study in Mr. Morris, and we're able to look at this and see what the leniency does. And if you see him back before the courts in, you know, three years' time with another difficult offense, uh, you know, I'll bet the next judge absolutely hammers him. All right, in this one, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm just... It left me to wonder if he's expanded his mandate in uh, dispensing justice and he's gone down the boulevard of social justice. And uh, I just wanted to know, you know, if that's his purview. But uh, and that's where I asked about the judicial activism. I guess I mean, surely, surely his job is justice, right? He's a justice of the Superior Court of of Ontario. He's got what we call plenary jurisdiction. He's got a wide uh, range. And, And if the crown doesn't like it. Uh, you know, the Court of Appeal is, is not a hard place for the Crown to get to. They go there all the time. If they don't like it, uh, take it up a level, and you'll see what a panel of three does. And, and the Court of Appeal can be a very uh, difficult place for defense counsel. We, we often uh, get our heads handed to us when we walk in there. And, uh, and, and maybe the court uh, upstairs will say something different. But it's a, as I say, it's a very well-reasoned judgment. It's uh, you know, it's a sentence that's available in law. It's a sentence where you know the mandatory minimums were struck down as being unconstitutional. Uh, so this is something that's available to him, and and he's certainly uh, given it a lot of thought and come out with uh, you know maybe a courageous judgment. It's not the only time we do this, right? Like uh, it is mandated in the criminal code. There's a there's a 
when when you're dealing with people of uh, indigenous background, you you take that into account because of the history of uh, colonialism, because of the you know overrepresentation of natives in the justice system. But so, this black young man, how does that square? Because this also had me bewildered. Uh, citing a history of colonialism, slavery, and segregation—that's more the American experience. Yeah, although I don't, you know, if we, it gets anecdotal at some point. But I I had a 16 year old kid in my office not too long ago. And I and he's got no criminal record. He's you know he's now been charged with a criminal offense, he, and a and a pretty serious one. And we're, I'm looking into bringing a, a charter challenge and an arbitrary detention argument. And I asked him like, how many times have you? Something he said led me to ask, how many times have you been stopped by the police? And he goes, oh, I don't know, probably about forty. I said, what? And he goes, forty. Let him. And he's too young to drive, right? He doesn't have a driver's license. He doesn't drive. This is walking on the street. He's been stopped and, and interviewed about forty times by various police officers. Uh, no criminal record. And and I thought of my experience growing up as a as a young white teenager. Uh, never once did I get stopped. Uh, so and this kid builds in time to his route in case he gets stopped by the police. <laughs> so. To say that it's not something that we need to be thinking about and to say it's not segregating and affecting a large segment of our population is uh, burying our heads in the sand. All right. Psychologically segregating is what you're pointing out. Yeah. Uh, Craig, I appreciate your time. Uh, Really interesting discussion. Thanks so much. We'll have to talk again. Take care. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. Craig Bottomley, again, defense attorney with Bottomley Barristers.